Greetings, everyone. Welcome to another edition of the CMK TKS Talk Hour, where myself, CM Kozeman, and my co-host, TK Sivgin, discuss everything about many extraordinary subjects, mainly from a speculative evolution, science fiction, and just uh, quite a interesting fact aficionado perspective so hello hello tk how are things for you uh pretty good right now all, all is well over here in istanbul as well and it's gonna sound very spontaneous to our uh, millions of listeners but actually we agreed upon upon this a few minutes ago and i think we both kind of feel in the gamer zone today and uh, we decided to talk about our favorite video games and the games we would like to exist. So uh, so today is going to be a pro gamer episode, everyone. Oh, God. I, <laughs> like, I, I hate calling myself a gamer just by association because, you know, you hear all these horror stories, you know. Oh, oh yes, yes. I mean, there's no end to those. I'm people like, driven to suicide. All every shade of uh, mental disorder imaginable. Yeah. Also, I mean, I mean the whole gamer scene, the whole gamer concept, is really uh, in some ways paradoxical, because like out on out and about, it's one of the most intense online activities out there. I mean, I think it's only second to uh, pornography that like everyone in this generation is somehow involved with games. At least they play with it. I mean, I know some friends who are in like their late 30s and they just have kids. They're like near six to 10 years of age now. And they always say that they just won't stop gaming. They are plugged into their headsets. They're all the time, all, all about gaming. And this is not a boomer's complaint, but it's just to show how intense and what a universal phenomenon it is. I think it's, I think number two most intense use of the internet, number one being uh, pornography. Yeah, and so, I think it is also like literally the most, in all of media, the most uh, lucrative um, section because I think they like the most sold product of any media that has ever been sold was GTA 5. Oh, true. Like true. more than any movie, more than any single, more than any album, it, it was a video game that sold the most. Yeah, yeah, very, very true. And uh, I mean, when I was growing up and maybe to a degree when you were growing up, I mean, games were still a niche thing and like it was kind of like a geeks thing. I mean, you had gamers who had like bounced off game references from each other, you know, like <laughs> Metal Gear Solid, blah, blah, blah. But uh, I think in this day and age, like people literally like become best friends over games or people like fight over like what one did in a game in a group game or like i literally a few weeks ago overheard two young people speaking and one of them are like saying i was completely dick move you pulled off in that match whatever i'm never gonna trust you again one set to another so it's becoming extremely pervasive not just in the developed world but also in the developing world as well and paradoxically an alien might uh, land on the streets of London, well, maybe not today because they got the Queen's funeral. Yeah, but it's on... literally happening just now as we are recording. That's the funny thing. Yes, yes. I mean, our uh, condolences to people in Great Britain. I mean, we can uh, discuss the whole concept of the monarchy for uh, hours and hours, but I guess 
you know it's uh it's not a wrong position to take to say hey our condolences and it's a sad day for you in over in the uk and most of the commonwealth i guess uh, i mean divorced from the institution she was headlining the queen was a really decent person same could not be said for some of her sons but okay let's talk about yeah. get back to gaming yeah, yeah. If, if an alien landed on the streets of london in a day that is not the 19th of september 2022 uh, they would probably realize like it would take like some months of research to realize that there is something called gaming out there it is all pervasive yet strangely invisible I mean, people, especially people who are in the boring adult world, act like ah, it's just a thing; it doesn't exist. But I don't know it's 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 going to be strange where uh, what the world is going to be like when all these like uh, endemic gaming generation grows up. And I mean, maybe they just maybe it will be things like business as usual, but maybe it could lead to new perspectives in uh, social life, socialization, arts, culture. Who knows? Yeah, I really wonder what the like the current generation of kids will be like when they grow up because you know like I was I think the last generation that still remembered a childhood without smartphones. Like oh, my yes. first mobile phone was like one of those classic old Nokia's. Mm-hmm, so, mm-hmm, very very true. And only later did I get like a hand the iPhone from my father as a hand me down once he got the new one. Mm-hmm. And nowadays kids like like our neighbor has a friend uh, who is a kindergarten teacher, and like mm-hmm. if, if I sometimes talk with her, and like she tells me some real horror stories about parents who won't oh. let who like as soon as the kid gets bored or something like that, they immediately give them the smartphone oh, instead that's of terrible. letting them play with like Legos or something. Immediately smartphone, and like she says. I think there's even like some studies that behavior like that literally stunts like uh, mental development. Like if you get constant stimulation. It's a surefire way to uh, raise kids who hate you. I mean, in in my part of the world, Istanbul, Turkey, it's a very common sight to see these. uh, I mean, I don't like to pass judgment, but these people who kind of like married too fast and had kids too fast, maybe without like really planning for things and all of their kids have like uh, like have a smartphone in their hands it's like okay here take the morphine and shut up you know yeah i mean uh so and i think kids are smart i mean everybody is smart and kids kind of realize when their parents are pushing something to them so it's like when when they grow up these kids i don't know how they will see how they will judge this behavior but on the counterfactual, I mean, these kinds of predictions have been made since uh, radio was invented, you know. I mean, in my generation, people were saying like, I mean, they were like seriously saying that Tamagotchis would lead to decreased sense uh, socialization. If you don't know what a Tamagotchi is, it was one of those like 8-bit uh, keychain digital toys you played. There was like a cat or some shit in there. And you had to like. I had a dinosaur one. Yeah. <laughs> like it was not actually Tamagotchi, but some knockoff product with a dinosaur. So in in like early two thousands, they were kind of really popular, but people were saying the same things we just said about gaming and smartphones about the Tamagotchis, the Tamagotchi-im. and 
uh, surprised, you know, it didn't lead to any weirdness. I mean, same thing was said about TV. You know, there's even a very strange Jim Carrey film, The Cable Guy, about uh, like the ultimate consequence of someone raised with only television. And this guy turns out to be like a really funny, really like interesting, eccentric, but uh, a, a horrible sociopath anyways. So I don't know. I mean, it's on one hand, it's clear to see that new media, new mobile devices, the pervasiveness of internet and gaming technologies, you know, they will lead to some great new novelties in social life, let us say that much. But on the other hand, you know, perhaps it won't lead to some like totally anti-social, like, uh, I mean, people smart figured things out, but we'll see how that arc pans out. But let us now narrow our uh, field to games and gaming in particular. I mean, how was your experience with games and gaming? Um, General. Well, yeah, let me ask you back. Like, what was your first console? Oh, I was really lucky. My first console was a, a Sega Mega Drive for oh, American nice. listeners. This is the Sega Genesis. And in in our part of the world, I got this when it was like still a something that only the wealthy could afford. My father went to a business trip in Japan and bought a Japanese Mega Drive. I mean, the, it still had like these Japanese letters on the side, like of the plastic box or whatever. And the games we had them for them were also in Japanese. So I didn't understand anything, but I, I could understand like which way to jump with Sonic and which way to uh, like uh, shoot basically. Then something happened. This Mega Drive, like we either like dropped it or like there was like a voltage difference or something. So it got fried. And back in those days, it was also a thing like power was like coming on and off. Like I think it was like a power cut because I remember we were playing with it. And one day the power went off. When it came back on, it couldn't get it back to work. I mean, parents something, said like, ah. Wait. Something very similar happened to my girlfriend with her. Like my girlfriend is originally from Mexico and like I, when she as a kid came over here to Switzerland and mm -hmm. she tried to plug in her Wii into the socket, it got fried too. Oh my. Yeah, I think it is just because many countries use different voltages in their uh, uh, in their electric sockets. I mean, uh, Mexico would have to be in the US zone, which has an incompatible voltage. But I think all the all the adapters are like universal these days, but I think still... Uh, different voltage fluctuations can fry them. I I'm sure somebody in the comments can uh, explain this better than us, but uh, please press F for uh, TK's girlfriend's V and uh, my bygone Mega Drive. Please press F to pay your respects. And if this happened to you, also let us know. I mean, then after our Mega Drive got fried, we we got a local copy of the uh, Nintendo 8-bit system. So this was the old system, the gray box that ran Super Nintendo Mario. Entertainment system. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And the graphics, the music, they were like noticeably slower. And our parents gave us like, they, they never believed that, they always thought that we did some like spoiled kid behavior and trashed the console. But in fact, it was quite the opposite. I mean, to us, this was like a, a godlike device. You know, we... we protected it like the Ark of the Covenant. But it was like, ah, now you kids, you should learn. You see what you missed out on. You see? You see what you missed out? Like, 
You only got the 8-bit 8-bit bootleg NES copy as well. And this wasn't even the original NES, but it was like a local uh, bootleg machine that still could play its games. Yeah, so the, I think there were excessive many of those. Like like a fun fact about Jackie Chan, apparently he <laughs> was in a commercial like he once mm -hmm. promoted a Chinese knockoff NES for China. Like oh my god. Well, I remember there were these like uh, in Turkey, there were these like um, Salamun Aleikum and NES console ripoffs, which were like basically uh, the NES. But uh, I mean, these existed towards the very end of the 1990s. But basically, they were very cheap. They still played NES games and all the bootlegs and everything. They even had those like 80 games in one, like special bootleg ultra mix or something. Oh yeah, like when we, when me and my parents made like holidays in Turkey during my childhood, I bought a lot of those for the Nintendo DS. You know, like 80 games in one. <laughs> yeah, and, yeah. It in and it's mostly just demos, but it was still fun. Or sometimes they started at different levels. But the thing about the Salam Aleikum. Uh, Nintendo Turkish knockoff was that it's splash screen when you turned it on without a game or sometimes when you played games itself the splash screen was this amazing pixel art of a mosque and some like uh, some religious like uh, proclamation like uh, in Turkish in Latin letters too so it's like God is great or um, like Hamdolsun Allaha or something it was like this Amazing, amazing technological artifact. I mean, yeah, that, that's cute, honestly. Like, it's very cute. It's, you know the, I mean, <laughs> you know the angry video game nerd. No, 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 not much idea about him, unfortunately. Yeah, but basically, he has three episodes each, each release at Christmas, I think, where he reviewed Christian video games. Like mm. in the 80s, there were like this a bunch of companies doing uh, like unlicensed video games for the NES about trying to teach uh, children like Christian morals. Ah, It was like Mario knockoffs were, instead of Mario, it's Moses <laughs> trying to cross the Red Sea <laughs> by jumping over locks. It's... I mean, they, they, they thought it was sacrilegious, right? In those days, there was a big moral panic, just like the little one we just had now about smartphone kids, basically. Yeah. They were saying that... Uh, Computer games were going to corrupt kids. Our brains were going to turn to mush. What I realized, by the way, going back at our earliest com earlier comments about these like uh, contemporary kids and their games these days, is that even though like to a degree, yes, I mean, not as many kids go out and play ball in the streets, whatever. But these games really, especially with, when Gen Z is concerned, they really teach about um, working and solving problems in groups. Like, uh, like our generation, like my generation, the previous generation, games were more individualistic. Like you had to like blast enemies, but now you have to like work in groups. You have to like work for your class and like coordinate. And when I realized that when it comes for Gen Z, the time to vote or like to make political commentary or something, they achieve this kind of super saturated uh unanimity that's like the uh, like the molecules of a metal arraying themselves when uh, undergoing shock in a way that's so in that way there's some like very virtuous things about uh, the contemporary state of gaming too yeah what the, it instills in kids 
yeah, the evolution of like multiplayer communities is very interesting to look at. It reminds me of like my, I don't know what you would call this in English, but like gymnasium, I think it's high school uh, or middle high school. school. Yeah, high yeah, school, yeah. yeah. Like during my gymnasium days, what we loved doing, but like back then, the Minecraft Pocket Edition came out for smartphones. Mm -hmm. and mm -hmm. It was still, it was very different from today, but it had a multiplayer mode. And what we did every break, me and my friends, we ju would just log into Minecraft Pocket Edition and play on the same world and like build houses together and build like little villages or go, oh, or go and save so nice. Yeah, like honestly, those are my happiest memories from high school. Yeah, <laughs> but that's so nice. I mean, I guess the, I mean, Many people philosophize about these problems of uh, virtuality, that nothing is permanent, everything is fake. But I think most of that goes away when you kind of engage in the same virtual world together. And then, of course, there's an aftermath too. So, like, you show it to each other, I guess, and, like, joke about it. And, like, so there's still a physical world component of those activities as well. So... So there, there, I think. But uh, let me now ask you what your favorite video games were, like in a sort of five-year interval basis. In a fa um, My first ever video game console was the PlayStation 2. That's how young I am. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Yeah. And ironically, my favorite game on it was a PlayStation 1 game because the PS2 back then was backwards compatible. Uh -huh. uh, and that game was Crash Bandicoot Free Warped. I oh, love that game so I much. I had that too. I had that too. The the 3D the 3D scrolling aspect. Yeah. I think your first console was my last. After that, I kind of lost interest in it. My brother, uh, until well, until his marriage days at least, was uh, still a big PS fan, and like he was still buying the PlayStation Four, Five, whatever. But I think Crash Bandicoot. That game was superb. I mean, the way the the, the levels were designed, the, the speed at which they flowed, it was just like, I mean, I think it was like Sonic the Hedgehog for the Mega Drive. It was a game that had found its platform in a way. Yeah. What I've seen it uh, compared to more often is Donkey Kong Country. Oh, and that one. That one makes is a lot of sense. Too. Yeah. I think the developers even said they tried making something like Donkey Kong Country, but in 3D. That's why it's like the first game is like in a jungle setting and stuff. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Well, uh, yeah, and all the animals, all the characters are somehow derived from animals. Yeah. Uh, Donkey they Kong. They have more of a Looney Tunes uh, influence, all the characters. Yeah, I mean, I, I remember many people unable to like remember Crash Bandicoot's real name, we're calling that name Tasmania in Turkish, which is their name for uh, Taz, uh, the Tasmanian devil. But they have the same move, they, they both spin. Yeah, 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 yeah. So many people thought it was Tasmania, the game, but whereas in fact it only... Well, they also are based on similar fauna. They're all uh, metatherians, they're all marsupials. So there's yeah. a co commonality too. I think, but, yeah, originally Crash was supposed to be a wombat that was called Willy the Wombat, but then they found out, oh, shit, that name is already copyrighted uh, by someone. I think it was actually some, like, uh, side Looney Tunes character named like that. Well, do you do you think, like, this is deepest lore-level stuff here, but the prevalence of, you know, boxes, cubes in the Crash Bandicoot games, if the character was originally a wombat, do you think it had to do anything with the wombat ability to shit in cube form? 
I did not think of that now, but now I want that fall out of my head. Pieces, pieces are all coming together now, aren't they? <laughs> <laughs> Shit, literally. <laughs> I mean, I mean, if Crash Bandicoot had like the power to produce cubes or boxes in that game, then I would be like one more step closer to believing in this arcane hypothesis. Let's yeah. Say. Did you know that? Did you know there is an extinct bandicoot species that the paleontologists gave the scientific name Crash Bandicoot? Oh, yeah, yeah. I, I had heard about this, but uh, I don't know what it looks like. Probably like a regular bandicoot, I guess. I've, I think it's like an extinct relative of the pig-footed bandicoot, which is, mm -hmm. you know, this like unique uh, marsupial that has evolved hoofs on, his, on its hands. Oh, yeah, yeah. I mean, bandicoots are a, are a weird bunch. Bunch them and all the bilbies and all those. What are they even like? Very small kangaroos, I guess, or something else. I think they may be related to potoroos, and potoroos, I think, are mm -hmm. related to macropods. Yeah. So yeah, mm -hmm. maybe. I know marsupial relationships evade me. I'm not an expert on that. Oh yeah, 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 and. I don't know. Did you have like a favorite level in Crash Bandicoot? Obviously, the dinosaur one. Was there a dinosaur? Yeah, in the third game, you know, the third one was all about time travel, and you know, there was. I had warp, warp thing. Yes, yeah. yes. There were like oh. two or three levels where you went down in prehistoric times, and you know, it was a chase level. Like every Crash Bandicoot has a chase level. In the first one, it was a big. Oh over, yes. Like in Indiana Jones. In the second one, it was a giant ice bear. And in the yeah, third one, yeah, was the yeah. angry Triceratops. Yeah, now it's all, all coming back together. The Crash Bandicoot series also had a racing game, didn't they? Like yeah, Crash, Crash Team racing. racing. They even made a remake of that, and that was super good, that game. Yeah, I think it was even like more entertaining to play than uh, Mario Kart. Yeah, it, yeah, I played, I played the remake recently, and yeah, it is definitely more challenging, but also more fun in that way. So when... When it was my uh, Crash Bandicoot 3 Warp game, whatever days, it was mostly like uh, during the summer vacation where my family and like a bunch of other like friends' families, we all went down to the seaside place because that's where everybody's summer houses are. And I remember like this bunch of people who are like uh, significantly wealthier off. They had the Nintendo 64 summer house. They had like a big house with a pool and everything. And in that house, this is like one of those uh, Quranic descriptions of paradise. There was a garden. And in the garden, there were 40 houses. In each house, there were 40 game consoles. And in that house, there was a Nintendo 64. And in that N Nintendo 64, they had upon that console, uh, James Bond, GoldenEye, and Ooh. Mario Kart, and I mean, we spent going to and fro between these two places. Like it was like a couple of miles away. We could still walk, but we were like, okay, today we are going to GoldenEye because going to GoldenEye was a thing. Like all our parents would go down to the beach and whatever. Like we would go to the garden house and just play Nintendo GoldenEye all day long but it was my first experience to like a game where i could like shoot my brother or like they, he could shoot me or whatever relieved the relieved a lot of family tensions that way 
<laughs> Do you remember the Nintendo 64 controller that... Oh, oh yeah. Like, the... It looks like it was designed for like a free-armed creature, doesn't it? Yeah, I think they they kind of had like this design department thinking in like the more buttons, the more advanced it will feel. Also, they were probably making up for the fact that their console could not play CDs. So they had to kind of cram everything. It, it like They had like four sets of shoulder buttons. They had the joystick. And then also they had the four point. I think like it was like a, I mean, looked like a perfect example of design by committee to me. You know, like eight people get together. We have to have this. We have to have that. We have to have, oh, we can't drop this because the one and, 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 and that kind of thinking. Uh, well, I mean, for like such an egregious, egregiously designed object, it was still pretty useful. But I remember when playing GoldenEye, I just used the joystick and then like, two buttons, one to shoot, one to select weapons or something like that. Yeah. I know, like I never had an N64, but like two years ago, at there was the the Zurich Game Show, mm-hmm. was a small like gaming convention. Mm-hmm. Uh, there they had some like retro consoles where you got, could just sit and try out something. I tried playing Golden Eye with that controller, like I literally could not mm-hmm. understand how people can play this. <laughs> I mean, you just use the directional uh, stick in the middle, and then some of the buttons, but uh, it was just. I mean, I guess when you had nothing else to do, there was a sharp learning curve. And this was before the age of online gaming. So like if any of you listeners don't know what we're talking about, when you're playing this game, like there were two ways to play. Like if you wanted to shoot your friend in a game, you know, or shoot your brother in the face in a game, there are two ways to play it. (laughs) One was a very arcane method. Like some consoles would have this like link cable. And they had like a special port for it. So you had to like link two televisions and two consoles together. And then you would be able to somehow play like, there were like only five games you could play that way from a selection of thousands, you know. So that was one way. The other was a kind of multi-controller method in which like you plugged four controllers into the game and the screen literally split into two and you each looked into your own quadrant. One of the neat uh, gamer hacks about uh, GoldenEye was looking at your enemies' corners and then navigating using them. And like you got to such a level of skill that you could just look at their screens, see where they were, and kind of like hit them tangentially from there. Four-dimensional uh, thinking. Yes, lots of lots of good memories back there. But what about the PC end of things? Like were you a like right. a big PC gamer or like yeah, I had a lot of PC games, more though more of like the on the lower end of like technological requirement, like mm-hmm. like roller, like mostly like these like tycoon games and strategy games, like Roller Coaster Tycoon, for example. I remember that one. Zoo Tycoon Two, I played that one a lot. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Then of course, uh, Age of Empires. I think the third one was the first one I played. Oh, I love Age of Empires second installment uh, especially yeah. with the age of kings expansion and e- even to this day they're like the global world matches of those games yeah. because they yeah they made some very good like remakes and like remasters of those games so they are still playable today uh, yeah, I, yeah, yeah. Play them. I still have to play the fourth one i kind of 
I wanted to play, but I somehow never got to. I played Age of Empires 2, like, rigorously. But Age of Empires 3, I don't know, somehow the transition to 3D graphics just didn't do... I mean, for our viewers, the second game was like an isometric pixel game where you have these historical units and you do battle and also you build castles and stuff. And the third game, it was like the same thing, but executed in 3D. And somehow, I mean, it was a shoe that never fitted me. But I wasn't really big on competitive games to begin with. I mean, maybe there are some out there who think that's like a weak move, but that's just how I was wired. I mean, I was just more interested in these games where I could build something, especially in PC, SimCity 2000. Again, oh, yeah. not, the, not the 3D version. I like the isometric pixel layout. And also there was this game called Pharaoh. Oh my God, Pharaoh. The music was so good. They, they're making a remake of that one. Oh, I played Pharaoh and the Cleopatra in, in, expansion. I, I, I loved, I think this tells more about my character than anything. I loved making these cities and filling the stockyards with certain kinds of goods. I would pause the game and like just visit the visit the stockyards and see like 100 bales of clay or like pots and stuff. I mean, I just like making these grids. And in that game, like it was actually quite a difficult game because the houses did not, basically you had to build an Egyptian city. You have built roads and like farms and stuff like that. And then shops and stuff. So you harvest resources and make products and sell them. There was also a way to do battle, but it wasn't like, too big part of it too big part of the game but i was so big on like laying out house designs and like like you could have certain types of houses only when you had like a theater nearby or a beer house nearby all those in that game people were very like how do you say they were difficult to appease let us say like like you build these amazing villas and then the beer house goes out of the business and suddenly they turn into favelas in one second. So, <laughs> Yeah, like, like kind of like the later Anno games. Do you know those? Oh, no, no, not at all. What, do describe them for me, though. Like they all have uh, like Anno and then some year number that usually adds up to nine, like Anno 1404, for example. Oh, oh okay, okay. I mean, I've heard of them, but I don't know anything about them, so so illuminate us. They are like some of them have combat, like mo but most of them are simply like uh, simulate, like building up and simulating um, product chains, basically. Like you have oh, okay. map, it's a series of islands, and like on one island you have sheep, so you set up your sheep farms there, and on mm -hmm. the other island you need to. They require. Um, Papers, trees, and clothes. So you have to make, so you have to create um, shipping lanes uh, to get the wool from that island to the other. Ah, that's nice. That's like the most basic thing. And like you kind of, do you know Factorio? It's kind of like that, but a bit simpler. Uh, sorry, it's exceeding my age limit, I'm okay. afraid. But yeah, basically. Yeah, it's like a like a seventeen hundreds capitalism simulator. Let's say it like that. Oh, does it include slavery? I guess not. I think the the newest one, Anno 
what was it, 1800, um, it plays in the Victorian era. And I think there was like some minor controversy over whether the game should include slavery as to be authentic and such. And the developers oh, said, yo, no, yo, that's yo. not fun. <laughs> that's very hairy. Yeah. They... I mean, <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. I mean, one thing though, one thing with those games, very also a big fan of the Jurassic or any of those dinosaur park games. By oh the yeah, way. I was born too late for those. I mean, I sometimes now I don't have the time. If I was born in the right day, I would be playing those Jurassic Park Maker games nonstop. But once again, yes. Yeah, like I was, I was born right in that age. Like I, I played Jurassic Park Operation Genesis so much as a kid. Like the the principle was both simple but also intricate. Like you send out dig teams to some like uh, fossil site in the world, mm -hmm. find fossils, you grind them up in the lab, extract the DNA, and then make dinosaurs from that. Oh, but as nice. you go on, you like unlock more and more research where you can do more interesting things. For example, you can like vaccinate your dinosaurs before they hatch so they don't get sick later, or um. you can like. I think you can even like install the kill switch that they mentioned in the movie with the lysine contingency. Oh, so when they escape, they die basically. Yeah. Uh, could you also make hybrids? No, not like the hybrids. Like, like Operation Genesis uh, released in the, like the tail end of a Jurassic Park three, so before the Jurassic World movies. I remember this one game which kind of like really like molded my psychology after because after Jurassic Park came out in 1993 I was like converted and I started looking for dinosaurs in any media lo and behold there was a Jurassic Park Sega Genesis game and in this you could play as the Velociraptor and the animation oh, yeah, was so one. smooth unbelievable I, I, I like I remember for like two summers or something, it's not really embarrassing, but I was like walking around like that, trying to pronate my arms and like moving my head left and right. And like, oh God, I must have been a cringe child. But not, I was like, things were happening in my mind. Man. I, I mean, let me tell you, so you can cringe a little less. Like I literally did the same after watching like walking with dinosaurs and stuff. I tried walking around like a pteropod. Oh, welcome to the club. Okay. Across generations, this is one thing you and I can fist bump on. I mean, after playing this Genesis game, I was a skinny child too, so I wasn't very heavy. I discovered that I could like walk on my tiptoes. And in fact, like I have fallen arches and like my feet are really big and like Bigfoot-like. So they're kind of robust in that respect. I have fallen arches, so I could actually walk on grass and even like uh, pavement and stuff like that. So... There were times where I would like go out of the house pretending to be a velociraptor, walking on my hind legs and pronating my arms and tucking them in and like bending as far forward as I could without a tail. And then they're across the pavement. And I remember like at, at one point, like my parents distinctly came out to me as if they were worried about something, as if there was something wrong with me. But I guess... There is something wrong with society. And if anyone listening experienced similar incidents, please know that you're not alone. Look, I lived in Istanbul. TK was living in Switzerland. Yeah. 
So this is a brotherhood or sisterhood, a fraternity that knows no bounds across country, age, creed, or gender. So, you know, if you were one of those like psychological dinosaur emulators based on any medium, game, movie, whatever, please let us know in the comments. You're not alone. And you know what you did was not wrong. So society is wrong. I mean, but wait, what if you were like, have you ever been bitten by a strange person? No. Because what if you are a rare dinosaur and you turn into an actual velociraptor every full moon and just don't remember it? I did have the rare uh, Dilophosaurian face where my long-suffering brother, I would like pretend to be Dilophosaurus once again, like prancing across my uh, tiptoes, come up to him. In, in the garden, there were these flowers, which if you ate them, they kind of made you salivate a lot. And I would like mantra on these a little, pretending it's even more natural. And then my brother is in there in like some corner, like minding his own business or something. I would like jump in front of him, imitating the velociraptor sounds. And then like <laughs> spit on his face. Oh my God. I mean, we even had the game that way. Like I was so good at pretending to be dinosaur that we played like catch ups. Like I was always a dinosaur. And he was never. Yeah. I, the, all the other kids were running away from me. And I was like really stealthy too. Like I would like next to our house, there's a park with lots of like bushes and stuff to hide behind. This is like quite, quite really rare in urban Istanbul, by the way. Like it's one big concrete jungle now, but there was a park, the Valideba park and me and like neighboring kids would go there. And uh, I was, I mean, I remember we had this, like, I think this happens to a lot of people. Like I think, there's a distinct correlation, maybe not causation, but certainly enough a correlation between pretending you're a dinosaur and like uh, later on being interested in these subjects. And maybe, I don't know, there's some sort of terianthropic uh, paleo magic going on. Who knows? But let, let me also tell you this, like, so these dinosaur games, I mean, all our friends joined in and... Like everybody printed that. Like back in those days, they all they also had these, you know, uh, dinomania with Jurassic Park and everything. So everyone had a favorite dinosaur, and I was always like the crowd pleaser because I could move like them and like really like make weird noises, spit on people. And then also, I was my traits were I was either the raptor or uh, the dilophosaur, but I like playing the dilophosaur the best. But in fact, when I wait a second, like we literally had the same game. Really? Yeah, like in on our schoolyard, <laughs> we had like a little section of uh, like forest, and it was like very steep. So it had like a, for us kids a primordial feel. And in that <laughs> in that little forest section, we went and we had like we literally made like a rolls uh, to for a food chain. Like you're like the raptor, you're the T Rex. You are mm. allowed to eat him, but he can't eat you. <laughs> Oh, he's the spinosaurus and stuff, and we all had to act accordingly. And like that, that way, we, like reenact those like nature documentaries. So the spinosaurus could like maybe jump into an ornamental pool or something. How did that go? No, the spinosaurus <laughs> could just kill the T Rex because well, Jurassic ah, Park three, and because of this game, even the latest Jurassic Park movie, Jurassic World Dominion, whatever it's called, yeah. 
as horrible as a as horrible as that film was, I still had this kind of spine tingling moment when the Dilophosaurus came creeping in and they uh, basically finished off the evil Tim Cook character. I was like still like, and one of the like we had like quite dangerous times too. Like, so it was once again these like parents family vacation with me, my brother, and another close family friend and uh, his older sister i mean the four of us we like our parents went to holiday together the four of us in some like hotel lobby or whatever we were left to basically play by ourselves while our parents went and uh, enjoyed themselves in the nightlife so we played the dinosaur game in one holiday like we were still playing the dinosaur games i mean i was playing always the dilophosaurus my brother was always like t-rex or allosaurus whatever then our friend had the brilliant idea of playing uh baryonics and because of this at those days we still believed that uh, baryonics was partly quadrupedal so this guy was like holding his thumbs out like uh well, those aren't really thumbs but anyways like baryonics would have and like walking or on his like crawling on his hands and feet uh, next to a staircase, he was like, "I was, I'm gonna like quadrupedally jump on them." But he had the weird notion that he could like jump on us from a staircase. But when that happened, he actually almost fell to the stair shaft, Ooh. and then he was screaming, "Help me!" And like we were like, "No, it's one of the voice mimicking dinosaurs, probably Saurophaganax or something like." imitate human voices it's not impossible parrots imitate humans all the time and we were like still like playing the role but then he started screaming so badly that we ran up to where the sounds were coming and like he was like almost gonna fall down like we we rescued him and that was our baryonics uh <laughs> game like for a moment Sorry. i thought you were gonna do do what what was his name scarred in the lion king so long live the king. Oh, well, I mean, I, I, I'm glad I didn't. I mean, I'm in my childhood. We had so many misadventures. Like, like once in the Jurassic Park park, we went to the, well, the municipality. They had the campaign to basically eradicate mosquitoes or something. So people would come up with like a backpack of DDT or some other like insect poison. And they would spray the bush. Now, we still would be playing after they left. So one day, actually, I uh, picked up the backpack of DDT. And I almost blinded one of our friends. Oh. And it was horrible. I mean, it was like, like their parent was going to like threatening my parents, like suing, like what kind of kids do you have? And then they went to the hospital and I was so traumatized. I mean, I was like, oh, I'm going to jail, whatever. It was awful, awful. So a lot of misadventures like this. But I mean, we we came through with everyone intact. <laughs> I don't know. So moving back to the world of games. Um, what was you the ever... first game you've ever been hyped for? Ooh, well, I think. Hmm. Very, very good question. I think you know it was the Sonic series. So, in when I was like 
six to eight years old, basically. I mean, we had the Mega Drive with the Sonic series and then also Super Mario. But for some reason, Super Mario, I mean, those games were, games were really good, but somehow it never appealed to me. Like, it was just a, a man jumping on turtles. And in our school, there was a horror story. Like, someone tried to emulate Super Mario and he picked up his sister's little pet turtle and oh, squashed no. it. It was oh, awful. No. So for me, like, Super Mario always had this kind of reestablishment of normalcy by a boring guy. And all the other computer games you look like you could play as a Velociraptor. A Sonic was like at least like something, you know, like a supernatural character. And Mario inhabited this supernatural world of man-eating plants and like giant turtles. But he was a boring old plumber. So something about... I mean, that also makes him appealing because he's an everyman. Like he, he literally looks like people I'm related to. Yeah, that's true. But like... If your possibilities include this extensive world, and especially with these like uh, Koopas and all those like Bowser, what was even Bowser? Like I remember like having a fight about whether Bowser was a mammal or a reptile. Bowser is a typical lion turtle from East Asian mythology. Yes, yes, that's true. But oh, very true, actually. Now that you say it, we didn't know. We we only had the like we only had what we saw. We had no internet, so I was saying he has to be a mammal because he has external ears and a kind of whiskery face. My friend was saying, no, he's scaly, he's got spikes, only reptiles got spikes. And boy, did he get me riled up, I mean. <laughs> ah, it feels so nice and nostalgic now that we're talking about these like bygone fights and like, it seems so carefree now. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, well, so enjoy, enjoy, enjoy you the silly days while it lasts. Everyone who's listening, uh, about games, uh, were you ever big on Counter Strike and all those? No, not okay. really. Uh, to get back to the question I had about like the first game you were hyped for. Oh, okay, sorry. I, I clearly remember it for me being Spore. Mm. It was like. I, rem I distinctly remember how I first learned about Spore, like in the days before we used internet. Um, well, 2008 isn't that long ago, but you know what I mean. Uh, we were on a school trip to the zoo. Mm -hmm. And as he came back from the zoo, I saw like a, like a used newspaper mm -hmm. lying in the bus. Mm -hmm. And I read through it. And then like on one page, they talked about this new game. Hey, Spore. From the guys who made oh. where you can oh. play replay evolution from a cell to galactic civilization. They're like, what? Yeah, what? I mean, I remember seeing a demo of the creature maker, and I my mind was blown. Like I, mean... I still love like it's on YouTube. You can watch the two the 2005 demo mm -hmm. where we'll write like just plays through all the stages in like a very short amount of time. And like a lot of people were disappointed with Spore when it came out because when you look at that original demo, it looked so much grittier and more biological. I think they toned toned it down and made it yeah, more cartoony. It, it became later on. It became more cartoony, probably to be advertised better. But to be honest, I was not disappointed with Spore. I still had a lot of fun with that game because it is to this day pre still pretty unique. No, yeah, yeah. But, I mean. 
I, I I never advanced beyond creature stage. I finished it once, but all the UFOs and the civilization building, they seem like a distraction to me. I never I always stayed a creature. I for millions of years I modified my race, but also in in increments. So everyone who's like most people playing sport would like I know suddenly add a second pair of arms or something, but I had to do everything slowly so they would look more harmonious compared to the previous generation. Yeah. That was the cool feature. You actually had like this timeline where you could see the changes you made throughout the. Oh yes, yes. Yeah. Also, like extinction events, if like a lot of your clan was killed and stuff like that. Yeah. And I think Spore is enjoying a renaissance these days. I mean, on YouTube, I see a lot of people like making weird experiments with it, playing with it. So you know. Yeah, and many people a... are making trying to make like a modern remake basically mm -hmm. spiritual successors like the most recent one i've seen is i think called elysian eclipse or something like that oh but I wait what i wanted it. to say is i think you've been missing out a bit by not playing the space stage I could especially be. with the galactic adventures expansion because then it free really feels like a star trek simulator Ooh. You fly around with your spaceship, you set up colonies and stuff, and sometimes you get like distress signals, and you go to the planet, and then you beam down and play as the captain in like some uh, adventure-style mission. Wow, that's neat. I missed out on that one. I mean, the first game I was hyped for was Sonic 2. I mean, if you can believe it. So it was in the Mega Drive days. And then Sonic 2, God damn it! And then <laughs> there was only like one shop in Istanbul which sold these games officially so like i would beg my parents to take me there this was like in like early 1990s so like really prehistoric in comparison to what you're describing but and then i got it and it was no disappointment then i was like after the sonic series was over i kind of had lost the instinct for hype with uh, computer games i still enjoyed them but like I mean, Spore also, as you mentioned, really created an excitement for me. But uh, I don't know. Aside from that, there was like a very, very brief excitement I felt for No Man's Sky. But by then, I mean, I had kind of given up on uh, computer games. The last computer game I really like played avidly was uh, Little Big Planet with the built-in physics simulator. Ooh. You could build your own levels. And you could kind of, I mean, you could design your own enemies and they would work with physics. I, me and my younger sister, who was born 17 years later, we played that game to no end and I would make levels for her to beat. And it was just really fun. Oh, how time flies. Sorry, I got a bit distracted there. So no, no worries. I'm taking a bio break as well, everyone. So, 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 any more, any more questions? I mean, I could tell you about a bit more about my experience with mm, 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 Sonic games. I mean, those games really. I now realize that my personality has been built up like a ziggurat from the bottom up. First, it was the Sonic games and rejection of Mario, the rejection of normalcy. Then, with the Jurassic Park games, the whole dinosaur adoption kind of thing. I don't know. 
But I mean, personally, I always av- avoided these like shoot 'em up games. I mean, they just seem boring to me. I mean, after James Bond, GoldenEye, I mean, they are fun when you can like play with your friends and shoot each other. But after that, all those games, they feel like like you run through a tunnel, you shoot at this thing, and this happens, and all the graphics, etc. They kind of like, no. ah, okay. Then I what? also never got into shooter game. Like there is one game. I'm not even sure you could call it a shooter. It's more like a survival horror game. Mm-hmm. The real love was the video game adaptation for Peter Jackson's King Kong. Oh, I, I never. I think we I talked about it. it already, but to reiterate, it's. Basically, you play Jack and you're on Skull Island and you have very little ammunition. So you have to be like mm-hmm. very creative mm-hmm. with how you defend yourself against dinosaurs and giant insects. And like all those creatures you see in the book World of Kong are actually like realized in this. Well, not all of them, but many you don't see in the movie are actually in the game. How close were we to God's glory when they could have done a Skull Island Zoo game. Yeah. There's also a lot of modding communities. Like, do you know anything about those? I know some of my friends do like Jurassic Park something something mods, but yeah. The, you know this there, there there is this hunting simulator from the 90s called Carnivores, where you were like Ooh. the lore is you are a hunter on a like you're a commercial hunter on a planet. Where mm-hmm. the aliens just happen to look like classic depictions of dinosaurs. Uh, I think we spoke about this in our last last podcast, but you do do tell more. Yes. Yeah, I I think I made a post about it on my blog once. Maybe you mm-hmm. can link that down in the description. Oh sure, please, yeah. please check check the links below for TK's post on the carnivore computer game. Yeah. Like it's a really old game, and I think the original developer abandoned it. But people are to this day still making mods for it, where <laughs> they, for example, take modern like like dinosaurs discovered in recent times and like remodel them so they resemble this old, outdated style. Ah, interesting. Well, I don't know. I mean, every every like. These last five years, and we're recording this in 2022, there are all these prehistoric games being promised, like zoo simulators. Yeah. But like, has any of them like really come out? Like one of my strangest adventures wa- was with Saurian, the computer game, where they promised to make this exact playable replica of the Hell Creek dinosaur era ecosystem. I think it's still in development. It is, yeah. And I, I even did like a concept art for this game's promotional book. If, if oh really? A, yeah, that's a bit of CM Cosm and lore that not many people know. But the 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 makers of the book, um, I think his name is Tom Parker. The maker of the game developer is Tom Parker. Also goes by the handle Tomosaurus on Deviant Art. So hats off to Tom if you're listening. So he contacted me. Uh, this was after I published, we published all yesterdays. So he contacted me to create my view of the Hell Creek Tyrannosaurus Rex. And I did. And you can still see this artwork if you get the Saurian uh, computer game promo book. But the game, has it been canceled? Has it been, has it languished? What do you think? No, it's like, if you go to their blog, they still up, like post regular updates and 
they have made some progress. For example, you can now play it as the Triceratops, but yeah, development is very slow. And yeah, I guess also when it's a passion project, yeah, it takes years and years to do that stuff. Yeah, and apparently, I think last year there was also some drama behind the scenes mm -hmm. where one member of the team actually like pocketed some of the paid and uh, some of the Kickstarter money for themselves. Ay, 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 ay. And then they had to kick him out or something. Oh my god. And he left with a lot of the assets, I guess, huh? I'm not sure. Maybe maybe he I think the way I remember it, he's like he like admitted that he, he's that he did something wrong and left on his own, basically. Yeah, on his own, but like without like damaging the company. Ah oh, well. I mean, I don't know what to say. I mean, working with people, you know, where regardless of what your like favorite interests or like personal convictions or worldview is, when you work with people, you see a different side of people. And and let me tell you, like, the distribution of assholes is Gaussian universal. I mean, doesn't discriminate by like what you're interested in. You could be interested in cars. There's going to be something like that. You could be interested in dinosaurs. There's going to be someone like that. Well, I guess. But okay, so we, we I guess we could make an entire show about our gamer moments and you know <laughs> No, 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 don't use that term because that has a very different <laughs> connotation nowadays. Yeah, yeah, okay. So After what PewDiePie did with on that bridge, everyone has a different definition of gamer moment. What did PewDiePie do? Like this he was in a, touch. he was I in am. a live stream and I think he was playing PUBG, you know, this like multiplayer yeah, game. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He was being shot down and then he called his opponent, what the fucking and then he said the N-word. Oh and then there was like big drama around him being racist. This happened when? Like I remember there was some like feather flying about that whole deal in 2016, but I think this was later. I, I, somewhere before the pandemic. I'm not sure the exact year. Uh, I don't know. I don't know. I mean, uh, what can you say? I mean, <laughs> let us not even go there. Let no. us, in fact, move on to part two about of this amazing computer game related podcast. Now, I'm not going to use the G word on you. Not you're going to use the gamer word, word on you. Because I guess we could talk for maybe another hour or another episode about our favorite computer games and our favorite computer game moments. But now let us move on to the realm of the hypothetical. And uh, what would be like, let us have this pitch, okay? So both of us gets to design the top three games of our hearts. So first you go and then me and then for two yeah. more iterations like that. Yeah, that's the thing. I already have two, and I actually took the time to write them down somewhere. Like, Ooh. so the first one you can actually read on my blog because I did like a big retrospective on Sim Earth. Ah, on, that game. Yeah, and how it is such a unique game, and nobody has ever tried to replicate that. So I wrote down how I would today handle um, a modern remake. The and link of course, is in the video well, description. If you don't know, Sim Earth was technically the direct uh, sequel to the first Sim City, 
Bill, uh-huh. Bill Wright went megalomaniac and said, you know what? Instead of simulating an entire city, how about you simulate an entire planet? Ooh. And so you had really this entire world that simulated like weather patterns, con- like continental shift, evolution, mm-hmm. civilization spreading and all that. And I think it was even like Wright even co-developed it together with James Lovelock, who is a famous Earth system scientist, the, ah. the guy who proposed the Gaia hypothesis. Mm-hmm. I, I actually was a big fan of sim life. Sim Earth, I had it, but it was too complicated for me. But I was a big fan of sim life. And it brings out like memories from the deepest strata of my uh, memory bedrock, let us say. But let us now uh, turn to the matter at hand and your ideal game. Okay, so Jeff Bezos comes and hands you $1 billion. Which game do you develop, TK, first? Yeah, I'm looking up the article I wrote, <laughs> just to be <laughs> sure. Here. So it would have to be the Earth Simulator, huh? Get, yeah, exactly. Basically, you have a 2D map that's mm-hmm. like, probably made up into hexagonal tiles. Each mm-hmm. tile has its it has a biome designation. Mm-hmm. And of course that can change through the millions of years with like continental shifts and climate mm-hmm. changes. And what I imagine is like you are the god of life. Yes. And you have to develop the biosphere of this planet. Mm-hmm. But like only one step at a time. So you begin with only a single life for like some extreme fire living at the bottom of the ocean. Mm-hmm. And as the population of those microbes grows, you mm-hmm. generate mutation points, which is your in-game currency. Ah, so and, you use them to evolve. Yeah, yeah. Like you have a, a sort of tech technology tree, technology tree, like in Civilization, but instead ah, of so like, it's like body features. So like yeah, instead of the real. You invent like a photosynthesis or, or or like grasping hands and you can evolve that into wings or yeah, yeah. Exactly. So you take your microbes, you put them in like a editor similar to spore, and then you change like the metabolism or the cell membrane, then you have a new organism, and then you put them somewhere else on the planet and decide where in the food chain it goes. Well, I already want to play this game. It's very, very hypeable, yeah. and certainly, yeah. I mean, my, 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 one of my top three uh, dream games is very similar, but it's actually uh, an insect simulator. Basically, I want to combine these like creature evolutionary games, something like Spore, but with a real physics engine. So you have to like, like if your insect has long legs, it can only do the things that long legs can do. If your insect has a piercing mouth part, I mean, it's all like combined with physics, basically. So basically, like you and your friends can evolve your own bugs. I guess if you go to like these big servers and join the death matches, you could like earn evolutionary points, which you can use later to fine tune your model. Basically, I guess you would uh, you would spend the currency for like each polygon manipulation. It would like literally have an interface like a simplified version of ZBrush, but your arthropod body plan is there. You can add as many body segments or legs as you want, or you could even reduce your legs. 
I think maybe some of the turning point technologies would be, I don't know, like things like poison or like a larva system or the ability to breed water. And the things would not be the exact insects as we know them. But I think the whole gameplay would be in my dream world. Really like, so if you paint your insect in a certain way, the camouflage would be unnoticeable, like those amazing tank games they got these days, War Thunder and all that. So would it be like an MMO type of game? Yeah, I guess so. Like massive multiplayer online game. But it will also have its terrarium mode where you could just like fancy design terrariums for them and display them there. Which uh, leads me on to my second amazing game idea, but on to you now for number yeah. two. My second one was like we were talking about dinosaur simulator games and I had yep. an idea around the time of Jurassic World and the first Jurassic World Evolution came out. And mm -hmm. you know what? And the, like my basic idea was, you know what? If these games are going to be inaccurate anyway, then why not go the full way? So I imagined what would it be mm -hmm. like to have a Victorian era dinosaur park? Oh, uh, all nice. the animals are like modeled after their outdated reconstruction. So you have like T-Rex, the T-Rex, its tail, mm -hmm, or, mm -hmm. or like a sauropod that lives bat, in bat like pterodactyls and all that. Yeah. Or on, also some of the wackier stuff like a flying stegosaurus. Ooh, so I basically, like... <laughs> you, it's like it, play, it takes place in some like fictional European kingdom. Mm -hmm. And with a queen who t tells you, I want to make the most extraordinary zoo in the world. So you make yep. it like Karl Hagenbeck style zoo. You know, Karl Hagenbeck, the first, the person who basically invented modern zoos. Was, were those the first Tiergarten in Germany or? Yeah, in... like the first ones that used like moats and stuff. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Yeah. And, you know, instead of like resurrecting dinosaurs from the from like their DNA or their bones, what you would instead do is you send out expeditions into lost worlds. So like oh. remote valleys in the Wild West or islands in the South Pacific. And each island has like its own unique form of this like wacky, Unbelievable, retro. Like... I wrote a Word document once <laughs> just out of fun where I detailed all the ideas I can send it to you. And you could even have like Atlantis expansion or Moo expansion. Exactly, and you would have like... exactly. Oh, so this could be like this kind of Jurassic Park of all cryptids. Oh, my God. Yeah, like, yeah, that's the thing. I did not only include like outdated dinosaurs, but also uh, like a King Kong XP, for example, because it's exactly <laughs> that kind of time period. Wow, this is really good. I mean, even to see creatures like that modeled and to have them uh, to be able to play them, I think it's like a boon. I think like there really needs to be a kind of universal creature designer which will make creating 3D creatures as easy as Photoshop, which is not extremely hard, but not extremely easy either. But if something like that existed, you know. But, wow, I mean, two out of two, they're both very solid gold concepts. <laughs> My second idea was, I think I talked about this before in our podcast, but it's basically a one-on-one -on -one aquarium and terrarium simulator with like extreme like 8k 4k whatever k graphics where you will be able to keep reptiles or like exotic snakes in one-to-one -one size so if you're using a 14 inch laptop the monitor is going to turn into a 14 inch window into the enclosure containing 
the animal or fish of your choice, and you could simulate all the weird aquarium fish. I especially, I mean, I I think I think of this as a kind of humanitarian thing where it kind of would ease off pressures on exotic pets. But who knows? Who knows? So that's my idea number two: ultra realistic aquarium and herp herpetology simulator. So that's number two for me. What about you, TK? Number three. Mm, I have to think for that. Oh, like it's not a secret that I'm working on a book about extinct life on Mars. Mm -hmm. And I had this idea in the back of my head: what if like, it it will never happen? But one, what if that book one day becomes so popular that someone makes a video game out of it, where basically it's like Jurassic Park Operation Genesis. But mm -hmm. instead of dinosaurs, you have like these extinct alien creatures that I designed. So you're, is it a kind of survival sort of? No, like where... they have like this biodome, like you're on Mars, you have this biodome and inside the dome, you have to build a zoo. Ah, this biodome idea also resonates with your uh, other Rhinia project. I think there's a kind of like, you know how like... Van Gogh used these paint strokes. So in your term of mastery, there's this thing with like biomes consisting of uh, separately linked vacuolic realms. I think that's one of the running themes you have in your entire body of work. Well, do you think so? Because the, the, well, the basic idea of the biodomes in the Rhine, that was Bob's idea. Mm-hmm. And I don't think I have that sort of thing in Hardeshur, for example, which is the Mars speculative project mm -hmm. that I'm doing all by myself. Ah, well, well. Then what else would I have? I mean, I think I'm still very hyped on the insect simulator. I, I remember like, well, I used to write down a lot of these, but now if, when I think back about them, they don't sound so appealing. Like, I like making doodles of these wacky machines that kind of like Looney Tunes tanks. So I would like maybe a tank simulator with things like that. But then again, you know, you already have War Thunder. So yeah. why, you just, why bother? You just gave me a flat. You know, the, there's this channel, Lazy Game Reviews. You know him? No, no, no. Uh, he reviews like old PCs, old tech, and but also sometimes old, vid old PC games. Mm -hmm. And one game he reviewed that I remember was, uh, I think it was called something like Star Wars Droid Constructor, where you built your own like, 3D environment. Exist? Yeah, you like in wow. a 3D environment, you built your own Star Wars type type droid and like test it out on uh, obstacle courses and stuff and see what it can do. I think there was a game like that called Robot Wars. It was a popular UK TV show where. All the robots look like little wedges, but I think that's like natural selection for you. Yeah. I mean, I really like those kinds of settings where like you can design creatures in a certain environment. But I mean, now number three, I'm also thinking in the background and I guess you're thinking about what to do too because it's uh, Steve Jobs' imaginary $1 billion. We don't want to spend that money too irresponsibly. Hmm. I don't know. Well, any any of our viewers have any ideas for their own amazing computer games, please mention them in the comments. But I'll just give 
maybe one of my silly ideas where it's a kind of jumping spider simulator. The, the game is called Glade, okay? And it's basically like an organism by organism remodeling of a generic European or Eurasian maquis or a like field. And you got all the like frogs, birds, whatever, all the little bugs, big bugs. It starts like you are basically in control of a jumping spider and you just scoot around and jump. But it's like those ultra realistic mill sims where if you just shut, you're dead. So in this game too, like if something eats you, you have to wait for five minutes for uh, the, the game to boot up again. So I think that would be my number three, Glade, the spider simulator. And there would be, of course, expansions where you could get, play as wolf spiders or crab spiders or... I don't know if it would be if if it would be a massive multiplayer online game. Maybe it could be. I don't know. So those are my three ideas. I don't think it's that silly of an idea because there already are some of these animal simulators. Ooh, I no, only I... know Saurian, but what else uh, is there? Uh, there is a, a recent one. I, I'm not sure if it just came out or if it's still in development, but it's called Away and. Mm. What you play as is a sugar glider. Ah, that's very cute. It's a yeah. kawaii animal. Yeah, so you just glide around and have to. Uh, Do you have look enemies? Out for predators. Now, what are the predators? Cats, I guess. Yeah, mm, I think it's birds mostly. Yeah. You had also these silly cat simulator games where you're in like somebody's kitchen and you can knock objects oh, down the shelf. Or oh, do you remember Goat Simulator? Yeah. That I, one was fun. Yeah, yeah. You you jump on things or whatever, right? Yeah, like yeah, like you could lick anything and carry stuff that way. And like the game was broken on purpose to <laughs> to make like fun of all these simulator games that came out around that time. Mm -hmm. And it became like more and more ridiculous. For example, you could also like unlock uh, new bodies for the goat. For example, you could unlock the skin large goat and you select it and suddenly you just become an elephant. Ah, uh, well, I like games with a like kutspa like that. They got a kind of uh, inner message in the team they're designed. I think a lot of Maxis games were like that. I think Sims was kind of like a social critique of capitalism when it came out but then it became the very thing it set out to parody yeah that's the, it, like 10 expansions and all that i think that's uh, not i think that was done against the real though because at some point you know maxis uh sold itself out to electronic arts and electronic oh. arts is of course notorious for uh anti-consumer practices I, I I guess that's why Spore had this annoying internet verification thing. And, exactly, uh, exactly. Uh, that was mostly EA's fault, yeah. And yeah, after after Spore released, Will Wright even left Maxis, maybe because he was uh, disheartened with how the company is now being handled. And he I hasn't mean, done much since, I think. Like, yes, like for a long time, he has stopped making video games and instead worked on like, toy companies or something i guess he's enjoying retirement from the probably millions of dollars he has made in like stock options and other deals who knows one thing though one, nice guy. yeah i mean the world doesn't produce visionaries like him 
too often these days, where everyone who gets applauded as a visionary is actually a, mostly a dressed up PR guy or I don't know. I remember though having the one of the first like philosophical fights about uh, Sims, where it was kind of like a thing where like some people would like starve or kill Sims on purpose. And I always thought that was reprehensible. I mean, I, I, if a friend did this, I would stop talking with them. And my logic was that you know, these Sims, their AI is about as complicated as the brain of a butterfly, let us say. Uh, obviously, there are things with organic life that we cannot simulate with Sims, but still, I mean, it's still a complicated code. It, the thing could feel pain, it could suffer, it could avoid certain things, it had desires. So, I mean, you wouldn't go around like randomly killing a butterfly or a small insect, would you? I mean, some people would, I know, but so the same reason you wouldn't do that to a sim, just, I mean, on the whole ethical reason of not unnecessarily destroying a homeostasis seeking pattern. So I remember I had one of these like first like high school debates and or fights with somebody else because of this thing, but that was Sims for me. Yeah. And, and and the world is still waiting for TK Sivgin's third amazing game release. After selling hundreds of millions co of copies with his previous games, including Hard Assure, the survival simulator, and Victorian Park. Which game are you going to do next? I don't know. The, like... <laughs> I'm, well, I'm trying to I'm trying to formulate something coherent out of the many ideas swirling throughout my head right now. Um Well, maybe you could just bounce ideas back and forth and I think the viewers could perhaps build on them after they listen like a, has there ever been a museum simulator you know like a, like not you that be, i know of no there's there's zoo tycoon type games there's like theme park simulators but nobody ever i think really made a one where you simulate how it is like to manage a museum Ooh, so not just build or you could have a British Museum expedition pack where you go go oh. around the world and steal artifacts. I was thinking of something more benevolent, like sending out um, people into the Wild West to uncover dinosaur bones. Oh, that's of uh, cul uh, culture. Well, I think a museum simulator sounds really fun. That's a good idea. I mean, you could even like the whole game. You could choose your team, so it could be an archaeology museum or a fine arts museum or a paleo museum, and the game could encompass all of these things. And I guess the challenges would revolve more around the day-to-day -day administrative activities. So like running the cafeteria, exhibits, and then the disasters would include like fake artifacts or uh, I don't know. In case if you should choose an art museum, you could have these like postmodern vandals break in. Who yeah. knows? You know, there's this like recent line of simulator games, like Two Point Hospital and Two Point Campus. Mm -hmm. And they're like a hospital and a university simulators, but oh, they keep nice. things interesting by making everything super silly. 
Like, for ah. example, in Two Point Hospital, you have to cure someone because he thinks he's Freddie Mercury or something like that. And in Two Point Campus, you have to, your students can book a course called uh, Knighting, where they teach them how to be medieval knights. Uh, and I think the, in that these... vein, I think a museum simulator could work if you make it ultra silly. For example, if you have like an Egyptology exhibit, you have to build like security system so that the mummies don't like wake up every night and trash everything. I think the opposite way, actually. If you make it even more realistic, there's many things like, for example, I mean, this is a side avenue, but very realistic truck and bus simulators are extremely popular. People like play them for therapy. I mean, they, so if you have a realistic museum simulator, like maybe you want to expand to an insect collection, then you need to hire an insect curator. But then the one of the disasters there could be an outbreak of these museum, uh, museum, you know, the insects that eat up in insect collections, something like that. So I, you could, I don't know. I mean, the, the more realistic these things get, the more exciting the game could be. Yeah. It reminds me there is this also very calming puzzle game whose name I sadly forgot, but I have it on my laptop. I can send it to you later. Um, what you do is you get a box full of fossils mm -hmm. and you have to classify them. Like Whoa, it's a, like a shell. Like... Each shell is a little different from each other and they're mm -hmm. like color coded so you know from what age they are. And then you have to draw like the lines between this one is related to that one. And it's like it's like a cladistic simulator. Yeah, that's, that's the best game. Yeah, very done very simply and fun. Like I definitely re recommend it. It's very calming. I have to find the name. Wait, I can just look it up on my Steam page. Wait, I want everyone to know this game and check it out. It's so good. Okay, okay. So while you look at that, I, I look it up. I sum it up. So everyone from me, you had realistic physical arthropod simulator where you actually like you you could model insects, but really physically. So they're not a battle of stats. But if your insect has like legs in a certain way, it moves in a certain way. It's a physics engine thing. From TK, you had the amazing Victorian retro dinosaur zoo simulator, which kind of expands into this entire universe of cryptozoology themed beast zoo simulator games. From me once more, you had the glade simulator where you it's a very realistic depiction of uh, grassland and all the invertebrates that live there and you get to play as them basically like microcosmos the movie or the game from tk once more you had a kind of realistic stranded on mars adventure game where you you play as a kind of explorer on a version of mars with amazingly well-designed aliens and what was my number three game now, my number three game was realistic in-display herb simulator or aquarium simulator where you can enjoy keeping reptiles and fish and amphibians and whatever without being a hassle on the world's ecosystems. And then I, I guess with this game, modding would be a big scene as well if it was real. Now someone's going to steal all our dreams and make a billion dollars with it. God damn it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, 
Yeah, anyone listening to this and wanting to see our ideas, at least put us in the credits. Yes, yes. I, by the way, found out the name now. It's The game is called Fossil Corner by Brady Soglin and Overfull Games. Well, okay. I, everyone I have that go, down. Yeah, everyone go on Steam and check out Fossil Corner. It's very nice. All right. So, and for number three, we have TK Sivgins, Amazing Museum Simulator. We still haven't decided if it's going to be realistic or silly, but it's going to be hell of a sim. Anyway, so that was that from the talk hour with uh, your hosts, CM Kozaman and TK Sivgin. Please, if you like our game dreams, please support us on Patreon. We cannot use our Patreon funds to make these games, at least for the moment, but they certainly help out in real life and every penny counts. The links for TK's Patreon and my Patreon are below. And also all the relevant links we discussed for the games and other details, they're also in the video description. So go check them out. And any 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 farewell words for this episode, TK? Have you seen the leaks for GTA 6? No, no, no. Yeah, me neither. I don't care. <laughs> <laughs> all right. All right. <laughs> nice. This was really unscripted. Neat joke. All right, everyone. So unless we got anything else to say, I'm about to wish everyone a nice day and have a nice evening wherever you are in the world. Until next time, this has been the CMK TKS Talk Hour. Goodbye. Goodbye.